Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. I'm asking if you most disrespected teams in sport uh, after the Kiwis have been booked on a flight <laughs> the day after their semi-finalings in Australia. This is the such a rugby league situation, Kempi. Hold your thought. Is he in... A couple of words. Who's your most disrespected team? Hawks Bay Magpies. So disrespected <laughs> from the Hurricanes and the Wellington region. The respect that they get have been shown from a from a franchise that's in their own backyard is awful, awful, unacceptable. A, a union that produces so many stars that have had to be going away to Highlanders. It's it's a good thing for New Zealand rugby. The Highlanders, the Crusaders, the Chiefs. You look at it, and the own backyard they can't keep their own in their own backyard. I just think they're the most disrespected union in New Zealand rugby at the moment. And that's not just because I'm from there. Well, it might be. because of Maybe it's because I got chucked in the draft and they didn't look after me. But, yeah, I'd say Hawks by Vampires. Personal experience. Great stuff. Kempi, we're going to come back to you to wind up in just a bit, but this bloke has already wound up. Oh, Joe, give me, give me alone, Joe. T- talk to us, Joe. Far out. Oh, mate, outstanding day yesterday. Boys gave you a few tips you should have got on. Got thought have got a big fill up there. Most disrespected teams in sport, probably being East Coast. They booked the buses on the wrong day out here, cousin. Never mind booking the plane. But, uh, right, right, Mr. Smarty and Sinbad as a cover bet got double bubble, gentlemen. So absolutely oh flying Lord. after that. Got into Republican Party, and they picked up a bit of chump change there because that was the banker of the day. And then, and then I gave you boys, I gave you boys, hey, Midnight Dash as our yeah, uh, Ricardo and them, they didn't play ball, but Vinky B, how about, how about oh. Mickey G going to talk to, uh, going to talk to Natalie Rasmussen and saying, Vinky B had an abscess, let's get on. Well, we got yeah. on and we got paid at Vinky B, thank you very much, gentlemen. And then uh, got $4 worth of the first four in the cup. Spank him, I had spank him. Couldn't go past copy that in my first four. Threw in a cooter, right, and threw in the dirty Aussies. Boom, four dollars worth of that, and got out on here's Herbie on a bit of the day from uh, Greg O'Connor. Oh. Had an absolute fill up, gentlemen. Oh, what a day! Joe, what a Joe, day! Get yourself on the plane, the Joe. Get to Christchurch. Hey, hey, Joe, just quickly before you go, I'm uh, I'm in Gizzy yep. on the on the seventeenth, mate. I'll uh, you'll shout for lunch, mate. Eh? Yeah, mate, I'll flick you my deets, brother. I'll take you out for lunch. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll hook up. We'll hook up, Ozzy. Me, brother. Awesome. Perfect. Well Joe. done. And Joe, what Joe's done there is he's followed. That is a listener because he he's right. He's picked Vinka B. Greg O'Connor spoke to Natalie Rasmussen. And she said, forget last start. We got 16s and 4s there, and it ran second to nose. So Joe's been a very loyal listener throughout the day. Good to hear from you, Joe. Right, Kempi, most disrespected team in sport in your opinion. Well, obviously it's the the Kiwis currently with that news that came out yesterday. But mate, they put them in they put them in terrible hotels. Always have done, you know, give them the worst fields to train on, and the and the English and the Australians have treated them like that for years. So was I surprised when I read that? No, not at all, not at all. Was I surprised that it came out before the semi final? Not at all. 
Hundred percent. That's what they want. They want an English Australian grand um, grand final, World Cup final. So, mate, the Kiwi boys they're, they're used to it. They'll get they'll get up for it. The Kiwi Ferns haven't even been mentioned. How many World Cups they've won, and they're playing a World Cup up there. It's all the Black Ferns at the moment. They're disrespectful, disrespected as well. But the most dis- disrespected people in rugby league are the unions. They don't even get a say in the sport. That's disrespectful. Kempe on the other side, I'd be plastering that all over my hotel team room for the boys just to really find that inner something. When you're looking for something, you can imagine God, go plaster that around the hotel room and just get those boys walking every single day going, we're not going, we're not leaving. No one believes in these. you. No one believes no you. No one believes. You know how we were looking for that magic? You know how we were looking for that magic? They just yep. handed it to us on a platter. There you go, mate. Applaud them. Okay, double eight, double three. Who is the most disrespected team in sport? We'd love to hear from you. A report surfaced yesterday that the club, that the owners of Liverpool were open to selling the great English club. It was news that seemingly came out of nowhere, but apparently there have been new, uh, murmurs about this for months. David Pohl, uh, Pohl is the business football correspondent for Liverpool Echo and has been providing some excellent coverage on this story. He's been kind enough to join us this morning to and explain what in the world is going on with Liverpool. Good, good evening, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Good, e- good evening, guys. Thanks for having me on. Evening, it's morning where you are, evening where I am. Yeah, she's morning. She's been a busy old morning already, mate. We're recovering from a big race meeting yesterday here down under. But, mate, big news. How long has this rumour been circling that FSG, the owners of Liverpool, have been looking to put the club on the market? Um, well, I think they've always been open to someone making them a ridiculous offer for the for the team. Um, but it's it, it kind of came out of the blue in terms that they were open to, to selling the team and, and putting it on the market yesterday. But um, they had been engaged with... Um, two of the big US banks, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, um, for about a year and a half about trying to find minority investors to take a stake uh, in the team. Um, that's now kicked on to, to potentially open themselves up to a full takeover, although it's just exploratory at the moment. There's no no commitment to, to kind of getting rid of the team. I mean, it, it remains the most valuable asset that they have in their portfolio, which also includes the, the Boston Red Sox and, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. The, they own a NASCAR team, and they're also looking to add an NBA team in the next couple of years. Um, but it, it's it's probably a few things which have, have probably come into their thinking in terms of the Super League that never happened, um, the Chelsea sale earlier this year probably piqued the interest of, of a few investors. They went for a big price, Um and also, there is pressure on them to carry on spending to the level of of Manchester City and uh, and and coming up on the on the behind Newcastle. So, um, I think it's just exploring it at this stage. I still think that they'll probably try and seek minority investment mm. if it was available. But what they're doing, I think, is just seeing if anyone is willing out there to to make them an offer where they'll cash out. So, so Dave, you you honestly think that if if SG, it's not really about putting them on the market, it's about seeing whether or not and and laying their cards on the table, there are people that out there that want to invest in Liverpool. Is that what you're saying? 
I think so. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the impression I get. It's a um, there, there is the US market is absolutely booming for for football right now. You've got the World Cup in twenty twenty six. The MLS is flying, uh, and there's a load of capital in the US, um, which is kind of taking the place of Chinese capital. That kind of dis has disappeared slightly from the market after the kind of the Chinese domestic leagues fallen back. The economy struggled, but US try US investors see the. Um, the trajectory of valuations of football teams heading in only one direction for the few, next few years, and that's continuing to rise. Um, they think it's heavily under-monetized. They look at the NFL, and, and they, they think it can be on a par with that. I mean, the NFL has um, a smaller fan, a smaller cumulative fan base, but generates higher revenues. And, and when you've got the biggest global sporting economy in football, they, they think there, there are ways to try and um, make that gap up. But I, I think that they would, FSG will know that. They'll know that there is continued value in holding on to Liverpool. Um, and if they left now, I think they would leave some money on the table. But they also have other things to think about. I mean, they have expansion franchise they want to buy in the NBA in the next two years, which I believe LeBron James will probably front. That'll be in Las Vegas, I think. Um, and then you've you've got other, other growth aspects. And also... Do they have the appetite to, to carry on trying to spend like they'll have to spend in the next couple of couple of years to keep keep pace in Manchester City? But I do think they will have to leave some money on the table if they sell, even though they'll sell at a huge price if they did, um, purely because valuations are going to continue to rise over the next three or four years. What are you, what are you expecting uh, if they did sell the club as a whole and they went away from minority investors? What are we expecting? I think Chelsea would they go for four point one five billion? I think it was. Yeah, it was about two and a half billion for the actual club, and then there was a commitment of another one point seven five, I think, for infrastructure redevelopment. And if you've ever been to Stamford Bridge, it is a ground which is in desperate need of um, redevelopment. <clears throat> Liverpool's Anfield Stadium was when FSG arrived, and to be fair and to, and to their credit, they've redeveloped the stadium. It's it's now a you know it's a world class stadium now, um, but. There was a huge amount of interest in Chelsea when they were put on the market. That sale was obviously expedited because um, Roman Abramovich, his assets were frozen. They were facing a ticking clock and to try and keep the, the football club solvent because obviously they couldn't rely on his wealth to prop them up when his assets were frozen. Um, so that was slightly different, but there was enormous interest in that. I imagine a lot of the players who were in the race for that will probably try and show their hand at some stage Um or at least try and find, try and test the water with FSG. But a lot of these guys know um, FSG well, and, and 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 the major players in FSG well. So um, they this this probably wouldn't have been such a shock to them because they would have known that they were searching for investors. But I think the usual suspects will be uh, in and around there. I know Jim Ratcliffe has ruled himself out, but there'll be um, US. Uh, consortia interested, and, and there'll probably be interest from from um, kind of the MENA region, so Dubai, the Middle East, um, Bahrain, etc. But it's all dependent on um, who comes in, because I think FSG will want to leave some kind of a positive legacy. So, and obviously Liverpool's a city which um, values its um, uh, social, moral, and ethical code. So um, I imagine that you know any uh, any countries which have kind of questionable human rights, um, etc., that'll be mm -hmm. scrutinised heavily. So that's a major consideration for them, and if if and if they do to choose to sell. Yeah, there's some, there's a legacy there, isn't there, Dave, and, and a history with, that comes along with Liverpool. So, is, is it is it about um, raising income, or is Liverpool like you know Manchester City, those top clubs? Are they are they profitable year in year out, or or they they're actually struggling to raise that income currently? Um, 
Liverpool are, uh, I mean, if, if you look at it in the cold, hard light of day as a business, I mean, it's a successful business. I mean, I think they'll probably post revenues. They've not announced their accounts yet. That'll probably happen early next year. But they've probably post revenues of north of 600 million, profit of probably north of 70 million, which um, is, is a strong performance. They were one of the better, better performers during COVID. They limited their losses, whereas some teams were hemorrhaging money left, right and centre. Um, Liverpool managed to to kind of maintain, you know, kind of keep their costs down to the detriment of their activity in the transfer market. It must be said, but um, but they managed to keep costs down. But so they're a profitable football team, and they're but they there could be various reasons for raising um, capital through through selling shares. It could it could be to fund movement in the transfer market, or it could be simply to cash out some of their shareholding in Liverpool and maybe put it towards some kind of growth for, for FSG, so maybe a new team. But um, but they are a profitable team. Their balance sheet's really healthy, got great commercial deals, a huge fan base which has touch points at every corner of the globe, really. Um, so it will be an extremely attractive proposition. Yeah, that's another question here, the fan. What, what have the fans had to say about this? And, and just another quick question. What type of impact do these sales have on the competition as a whole? Is it, is it seen as a good thing for the competition and, and people buying in it? Or is it, is it turning into a nasty situation where owners are probably getting a, a little bit greedy? Do you feel like it's a good impact or a negative impact? Um, I think there's... The, it's almost that the owners are stuck between a rock and a hard place because um, obviously they, the biggest clubs have to try and spend to, to keep pace with, um, you know, nation states and sovereign wealth funds who have unlimited independent wealth. Um, and they also have to try and do things slightly differently. So, so the idea of Moneyball is something which Liverpool um, kind of championed and it's something which has been delivered great success, but ultimately there is, they still have the challenge of, um, trying to keep pace with, with 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 Manchester City, but I think the fans that fans want to see um, their their owners spend money. Um, the transfer market is the, um, the the be all and end all, and that's that's supporters' prerogative. You know, fans support the team; they don't support ownership. They just want to see the best players um, play for their team, and that's understandable. But obviously, these things have to be paid for. U.S. owners tend to have a bit more control, a bit more kind of a conservative cost control. Um, so there would be a move towards, I think US ownership brings it more sustainability because they watch the bottom line a bit more. Um, but the, the flip side of that is that, um, maybe the aspirations of fans in the transfer market haven't been met. And that's something which FSG have had major criticism over is that they've probably not taken enough risks, um, at, at key points in, in transfer windows when Liverpool could have hammered home their advantage that they held over teams. Cause for a period of 18 months, they were the, the best team in the world when they won the champions league and they won the premier league in, in that spell. Um, but they've, they didn't really um, stamp their authority after that Premier League winning season. Obviously, COVID happened. They were they were concerned about losses, etc. But um, there were there was a significant lack of big signings until January this year when they signed Diaz, and then obviously in the summer Nunes. But um, I think fans have become a bit exasperated by the lack of activity in the transfer market. But sometimes it's um, a case of uh, the grass isn't always greener. Hey Dave, what's a threat to the EPL on this on this ownership model? Where you've got overseas investors, the Americans, um, the Asians coming in, the rich listers, and purchasing 
EPL clubs and taking away that history that the the EPL has been um, has been built on. Is there a risk of losing that? Um, it's an interesting question because um, the, I don't think there's any appetite from um, the clubs aside from Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juventus to to go into a Super League as was presented. But I think that um, US ownership, um, in particular, views that the, the structure of European football um, can change or needs to change in some way, shape, or form um, to kind of move with the times. Whether that's them working with the leagues to try and find better ways of um, of, of monetizing uh, the live event, or, or or whether it's a case of them streamlining competitions to make it more appealing to uh, to kind of a broader audience, um, that's something which is you know that's that's up for discussion. I think there are structural changes which some US owners would like to see brought in, but not necessarily ripping it all up and going off on their own and creating the Super League again. I think the appetite for that now is among many of the big teams. Certainly at Liverpool is pretty much zero, um, given the, the the fallout that occurred last year. But um, but there are, you know, the, the, they are major players. They are used to, I think they see US sport as being around two decades ahead of, um, European football, the way it's monetized. I mean, so they they think they can bring a lot to the table in, in terms of how you scale the Premier League further. So, but what that means, it look the Premier League looks like in in five, ten, fifteen years. I don't know, but I do think you know there, there will be change. I thought that's just the way you know we are as as humans. It's the way sport is. You know, things never stay the same. If you only have to look back twenty five years and footballs. Um, immeasurably different than it was. So, um, what's you know, there's nothing to say it won't continue to change and, and, and manifest. But that usually falls in line with kind of generational preferences and things like that. I mean, what what I what I cherish from football now might not be what someone who's 16, 17 cherishes from football. So, um, there's a lot up for discussion, and I don't think anyone really has, has the true answer. But I think there will be some leagues who will probably need to work with owners as opposed to uh, work against them. Beautiful, beautiful, Dave. Just quickly, get your crystal ball out. Do you expect the sale? Um, I, if you would have asked me uh, yesterday when it all 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 kicked off, I was um, I, I thought that this was probably it. They were, they were making a major play for it, but I've sat on it for uh, twenty four hours, spoken to a few people. I think that they uh, are open to it for a huge price. But I think ultimately they will know that they'll be leaving a lot of money on the table if they did leave. I think they'll be gone within five years. I'm not too sure whether it will be um, in the next 12 months. But again, if I was uh, if I, my gambling um, my gambling history is fairly potted, so uh, so, <laughs> so read into that what you will. Same. I'm uh, I'm not I'm not a major winner at the uh, at the blackjack table. So, um, but that that's my that's my hunch. Beautiful, mate. We're we're the same. We're with you. We had a horrible day on the punt yesterday, so maybe we'll listen to <laughs> listen to your advice, mate. You're pretty on the money. Thanks so much for your time this morning, Dave. Appreciate it and giving us a little update. Thanks. What's going on at one of the biggest football clubs in the world? Appreciate it, Dave. Take care. Thanks, guys. Take care. Well, it's felt like an age since we last saw a big crowd on Cup Day, so it was a welcome sight to see throngs of spectators line the track on a sunny day down in Ōtatahi Christchurch. Copy that took out the main event for the second year in a row. How good 
and to our to his word. I was going to say to our word because we were all punting against him. Our man as he watched the race from his couch, his second home, to give his analysis of the big race and reflect on what was hopefully a good day on the punt is the host of Trot's Talk, Mr. Greg O'Connor. Greg, good morning. How are you this morning, Mr. O'Connor? Yeah, Kempi, nice to catch up with you again. Um, I'm pretty well. I've, I've gone past that uh, milestone age of 50, so I thought I'd better just keep things uh, <laughs> on the lockdown yesterday. But uh, look, how, how cool was it to celebrate again with a crowd back at Addington Raceway? And, uh, you know, they, they all turned up in their, in their finest and, and made sure they enjoyed themselves, and the racing on the track was nothing short of outstanding. Oh, Greg, you'd be feeling like a box of fluffies like myself, mate. It's so good to be feeling good. Better than my household, anyway, I'll tell you that. But yesterday's uh, adding to the raceway meeting, mate, uh, were, you, were you happy with the turnout and the crowd? I thought there was, it was probably a little bit apprehensive probably from, from COVID, but the day out, I think it was a pretty successful one. No, absolutely it was. Uh, as he, the the build-up to it this year particularly from a corporate point of view, it was pretty much sold out right from the get-go. But um, we had quite a few walk-up people on the day as well because it was such a beautiful Canterbury day. And um, Yeah, I, I think everyone was just happy to be back there, you know. And, and this is a unique sporting event. Harness racing's not enormous on the sporting sphere in New Zealand, it would be fair to say, but this is the one day of the year. This is the day where everyone gets behind the sport and wants to get out and celebrate and um you know, this race, the IRT New Zealand Cup's 119 years old. You know, it's, it's steeped in history. There's been so many great stories uh, around each and every winner. And yesterday we saw the 17th time where we've had a multiple winner of the race. And, you know, when you go to these big days, you want to see the best horses win. And we had three group ones yesterday, and they were all won by the best horse. True Fantasy was too good for them in the Phillies final. Don't Stop Dreaming continued a remarkable run. But not only Mark Purden, Hayden Cullen and Natty Rasmussen and, and their team from the All-Stars, but Ian Dobson, who raced Christian Cullen, who won the New Zealand Cup, Mainland Banner, who won the New Zealand Cup, and now he's got another superstar and don't stop dreaming. And, of course, he owned Dakota, who, uh, who, who was very, very good in the Cup running into fourth. So, um, yeah, there was always stories around, uh, around the big race winners, but none more so than the mad professor, as I like to refer to Ray Green and, and his horse, copy that. <laughs> Hey, Greg, what about, uh, you know, Mark Nixon and, and Wayne Wallace must be Hornby's favourite sons, but Blair Origin's a Panther as well. How, how, how is he so good, mate? What makes him so good sitting in that sulky? Kempe, he was a, a very good rugby league player, a junior Kiwi, um, and had to make a decision um, uh, around which, which game he went into, and, and I think he might have made the right one, mate, to be fair, because he's ringing wet about 70 kilos, so uh, even for a halfback, that's, uh, that's pretty light, but he, he's just so cool, calm and collected, and, and, and you often find it with these top sports people, whether they're, you know, in, in my game, whether they're jockeys or, or drivers, and nothing seems to phase him much. And the bigger the occasion, you know, the better they better they perform, and, and that's certainly the case with Blair. And uh, you know, he had a lot of confidence going into this race with Copy. That um, he's only driven him a few times, and, and has a, a terrific record on him. Obviously, he's won the last two New Zealand Cups. But when he drove him up at Auckland and he won off fifty-five metres, um, he said to me, "I haven't had a drive or felt a horse, uh, you know, that that well in himself." Um, and that powerful for a very long time. And then, of course, he went to Cambridge and went off 70 metres with Zach Butcher driving him. So he knew he had the horsepower, 
and he knew that if he got him to the front like he did the previous year, and you've got to remember, Kenji, they've got, they've got to rate these horses perfectly so mm. the other ones can't move, and a couple of them tried to move. Crew tried to go around them. South Coast Harden tried to go around them. Majestic Cruiser, who was second, was nothing short of phenomenal coming four and five wide to get himself into second. But Blair rating him so beautifully in front meant they couldn't move. And overall, once, once, once he landed to the front before the winning post the first time, it was his race to lose. Mm. Can you put it into context how unlikely it was Copy that could defend his title, uh, title when he had quite a serious injury setback? Obviously, the, the leg injury, pretty phenomenal. Uh, he spent four months in a box, as he, you know, like yeah. he, he he may not have come back to the racetrack, but uh, to Ray Green and his wife Debbie, they, they are out and out horse people. Ray's travelled the world in harness racing, spent a lot of time in Ireland and Europe, and um, you know they put him in a box and they they looked after him and nurtured him and, and didn't bring him back too quickly. And he was a big bull, you know, like he was <laughs> round as, and they had to take their time with him and. And, you know, get him back to the fitness. I mean, the, the pathway that he took to win this cup compared to the one last year, um, you know, all his preparation was in New Zealand. He took him to Australia, gave him hard races and three, three or four races over there. Got him back here, started him off those long marks. Um, if you'd said to me six months ago, copy that or win the New Zealand Cup again, I would have said you were dreaming. Um, but I guess I probably, like many, um, should never have underestimated the, the ability of Ray Green and, and, and his horse and, and how well he knows this horse. And look, there's absolutely no doubt he could turn up next year and do the same thing. I mean, it was deja vu yesterday. He got the same barrier core, same result, got the front, got the win. Um, I said to Ray after the race, is, is there any chance that, um, that he could even get better? And he said, well, I reckon he's grown a wee bit. And therefore, if he, you know, when he fills out to his absolute potential... Um, he, he, absolutely, he could win three cups. It's amazing to think, Greg. Hey, just rattle through a couple here because we're a bit tight on time, Greg, but important information for Friday. Uh, free for all. When do we get the draw for that? And will Rock and Roll do be there? Yeah, I think he definitely will be. Mick Stanley was gutted yesterday, missed away at the start. He'll be there. He'll be the one to beat in the free for all, regardless of barrier draw. He's got a point to prove. So uh, most fields will come out about 12.30, of course. Unfortunately, for the Renwick Farms Dominion, the big trot on Friday. We lost Bolt for brilliance, but it's going to be one heck of a clash between the two-time winner, Sunday Sun, who's right back in the zone, and, of course, Muscle Mountain, who'll be there in those Ian Dobson colours. So he's in for another big day on Friday. And um, Millwood Nike, Frank Endicott. Millwood Nike, dollar thirty-five. Yep. She, she goes around, she just wins? Yeah, yeah, she does. Um, yeah, Frankie's loving the ride with the sun, Shane. They're having a, having a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, she, she's next level when it comes to that. And, of course, Louis today, big day out at Rickerton. Always love Copeland's mate, uh, Bakery Mile Day. Really looking forward to getting there. Uh, there's two, two horses I'd love to have something on. Live drama, race seven, number two, uh, trained by Lance Robinson. Uh, Lisa Allpress, that'll do me each way, 5.50 all day. And I'm going for a bit of a roughie in the Copeland's new arrangement. Uh, and he had two starts back in this country, and, gee, he really impressed me fresh up, and I, I reckon it was a bit of a go-around last time, so I'm happy to have something on him at $15. Greg, you're a champion. Greg O'Connor, a massive Cheers, l- legend in racing in this part of the world. We'll be back to wrap the hour after this. But right now we're going to talk some cricket with the one and only Baz, who's still here. He's still in Aotearoa. No doubt he'll be playing a ton of golf, finding some horses, doing a bit of horse farming, family time, back at home. 
But right now, the cricket is flying, and the Black Caps taking on Pakistan. We're going to get his reaction and his preview of tonight's match. Baz, what in it to you? Ah, uh, hello. See, I didn't realise we were talking cricket. I was only coming on to talk racing. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of that too, Baz. Plenty of that is for sure, right, mate. Look, quickly, how was Melbourne? Didn't see you. No, you did see me. Can you not remember? They spent the whole afternoon at the pub together. Can you not remember that? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. It was good to catch up with you on this, mate. But uh, that was a hell of a week, mate. How you been anyway? What have you been up to? Yeah, that was a good week, actually. No, Melbourne was, was mean. I had such a good time. Obviously, our horse, Pungo, he ran brilliantly. And that whole experience of having a runner on Derby Day was... Was pretty awesome, as I'm sure you've you've already told everyone about. Is but no, we had a great time. I was ready to come home though. I was cooked by the end of it. Gee, it's a big week, isn't it? <laughs> it's you a know? big week. It's a and big I got week. Leathering on the punt. Oh, well, is he still recovering from yesterday? Oh no, last week. Oh, the week before. <laughs> oh, every day, every day on the punt. <laughs> what did you? What did you? Um, what did you learn about Melbourne Bears? You know, Pongo. You've got obviously the Fibrillator, um came out last week and and won really well on Melbourne Cup out at Pukeko. What have you learned? Have you have you ended up buying any other horses or you got any other big races coming up in your stable? Uh, yeah, it's actually been not a bad little period for the for our horses, and we had a really nice trial winner the other day. A uh, horse that we bought at the. Um, New Zealand Bloodstock ready to run sales at Karaka there. Last year we bought a nice Lonro filly, which I need you guys to ask Paulie Mwati because the the Karaka million odds are out, but our horse only got named yesterday, so he's actually she's not actually got any odds on her yet. Her name is Buccino, and I need to find out how much he's prepared to give us for the futures on that. So if you can have a little look or, or ask Paulie Mwati, there might be a little uh, a long term play there because I think she's got a little bit of ability, lads. Nice, Borchino. Okay, mate, you got so much in your stable going. I can't keep up. But anyway, let's talk some sport, mate. Let's talk some sport. The the Black Caps, they're back in the winner's circle. They're playing Pakistan tonight. What have you made of their performances as of late there, uh, Bez? Well, I just can't believe everyone keeps sort of being surprised when they make semifinals, to be honest. Like, how resourceful are they? They just have a... They have such a well-rounded side. They're incredibly well-read. They're calm in most pressure situations. They've got big players who have got exposure all around the world to to major tournaments and, and these T20 leagues, and and they just find a way when the pressure's at its at its highest. And they'll go into tonight with with a sense of confidence, I reckon, and so they should. Sydney should suit them. Um, I think if they can win the toss, which from looking at the kind of results of, of all games played at Sydney, the team that wins the toss and, and bats first has, has been very successful. If you can get a score on the board, I think they've won five out of six games or something. So if they can do that, get a, get themselves a score and and then rely on the resourcefulness of their bowlers and the craft of Williamson as a captain, I think they should be a, a real good chance. Baz, what about Finnellan and Glenn Phillips? What have you made of their form? Oh, I think Finnellan's a rock star, eh? I think he's... He's never gonna he's never gonna be a consistent type of cricketer, but when he comes off, he's gonna win you games of cricket. And you know, not too many people have have the bravery to take on um, some of the the uh, the opposition's best bowlers and at the top of the order like he does. And look, he's nowhere near the finished product, but I think he's got something which which is a, a really rare skill. And you know, I, I enjoy watching him play. Glenn Phillips has been outstanding. Batting in the middle order in T20 cricket is so hard, particularly on mm. big grounds. But he's got the ability to 
not just have a power game, um, which we've seen, you know, he clears the ropes many times, but he also adds that craft of being able to push the ball into the gaps, and he's so fast between the wickets. So he's able to score at a really high strike rate um, through two different methods, which is which is outstanding. And, gee, what an athlete in the field too, eh? He's, he's been a, a real revelation in the middle order. Mate, they've both been phenomenal this uh, this outing. Uh, Finn Allen, he's come out. He's keeping a quality and experienced players than Martin Guptill on the sidelines, and he's proven an absolute winner. But they're facing a Pakistani outfit that have, well, had the wool over the Black Caps as of late. I think the last couple of competitions, they're 0-3 taking on Pakistan. So not good signs earlier on. And Matthew Hayden's come out and said, look, no one really wants to face us. So he's given them a lot of confidence. How do you approach this game against Pakistan? What's the threats that they offer? Well, Pakistan are a very good cricket team, right? They always have been. They've got an amazing amount of talent that runs throughout their side. I think as one thing I find really interesting is the four teams that are in the semi-finals. You've got, obviously, India, Pakistan, England, and New Zealand. Barring New Zealand, all three of those teams have got major T20 competitions, which um, which all of their, their big players play in. Um, and New Zealand, well, they're just so resourceful, and they allow their players to go and play around the globe and, and allow them to play in the IPO and get that sort of exposure to T20 cricket. So it's no real surprise to me that these teams are in the semi-finals, and and I look at Pakistan, I think, you know, they've got talent, but they've also got T20 exposure and they've got experience because of their Pakistan Super League and, and some of their players being able to play in it. So, look, they're really good. Their pace lineups very good. Shadab Khan, to me, is an absolute superstar. Um, he's, he's a cricketer, which I can really get around um, with what he does with bat, ball, and in the field. And, uh, you know, I think their middle order's been really good for them. They have struggled for runs at the top of the order. And it'll be interesting to see what New Zealand do because Bracewell, who has been on the outside of the side, is actually for the World Cup actually performed really well against Pakistan in the lead up to the World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see how the uh, how the teams line up. But I think it's going to be a cracking contest, and I just I uh, think if New Zealand can win the toss, then it, it certainly increases their chances. Bez, what have, what have you made of Australia not being able to? Um get through any further on a home soil. <laughs> well, I, th- I think that, that that last point I just made around the T20 competition, so uh, the Big Bash used to be an absolute jet of a tournament. It used to be one of the best tournaments as a player to play in, and then it became quite long, and you lost a lot of probably your, your real overseas um, superstars playing in that tournament. And, yeah, there's still some overseas players, but if we're being honest, they probably weren't the best that was going around, and, and not many of the international Australian boys actually play in that tournament regularly, so I just wonder if, if because of that, um, yeah, they play in the IPL a little bit, but they don't often play together. Um, so I don't know whether whether that was a factor in, in them not being able to qualify. But look, I think everyone was very shocked. They Australia on their own soil in a World Cup, you would think, mm. um, would be red hot favourites. But look, I thought they just they. they didn't quite look the same Australian sort of outfit and confident outfit that we're so used to in World Cups, but I think the four teams that made it are the right four teams, to be honest. On the other side of the, on the scale, uh, Bears, with England, uh, Ireland, Scotland, um, you had the Netherlands beating the South Africans in the last side, so what do you put their sudden resurgence down to? Is it, is it their exposure to top-level cricket? They're getting more crack at international teams. What is it? I think they were race fit too, to be honest. Is like they all, they came through the qualifiers, so they had the opportunity to play 
uh, in those conditions and get games together and under the belt on the le- in the lead up to the World Cup. So I think that definitely helps. I think the T20 tournament, if we take out the rain frustrations early on in the tournament, it's been an absolute beauty. And it sort of shows that like, I think it puts one-day cricket under a little bit of pressure because you're getting, you don't get the same turn-up and results in one-day cricket as what you do in T20 cricket. And I guess I sort of look at if if the great all-back sides of yesteryear played against Japan over 80 minutes, they'd probably beat them quite comfortably if they play over 10 minutes. <laughs> then, then the game becomes a little more um, sort of uh, inconsistent in terms of results. And I think that's what we probably see a little bit from the T20 game. But I've loved it. I think it's been a cracking World Cup. And and uh, and I'm looking forward to supporting not just New Zealand, but also, you know, England as well, because they, they pay the bills too. <laughs> Go on then. Go on then. What are England going to do, Bears? <laughs> Chicka, chicka, chicka. <laughs> Put well, your pound into it, go. New Zealand England final just makes total sense to me. Total oh, dollars, right. total dollars Does it <laughs> makes perfect sense. Hey Baz, I guess I guess if we have to, we better talk some racing, eh? Do we? I guess we, we if we have to, we, we may as well. Well, if you guys are going to ring me up, and if you're going to ring me up yeah. and talk cricket, I'm not going to answer the phone. We're here to talk racing. We talk beer. Let me bring some balance back. Yeah, yeah. Let me bring some balance back, Baz. Okay, okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. I know you love the business of racing. I know you'll find this super interesting. Did. So you would have seen Flightline, the best horse in the world, go around for his last start in America and the Breeders. And, like, the cruising speed and the gear change, and he's kicked away and beat another really good horse. Now, what about this? They sold 2.5% of Flightline. They put him through the ring for 4.6 million US. That's 7.77 million NZD, meaning, and, and I'll give Havelt the credit for this, he did, ran the math on it, 100% of his value off that would be 290 million Dollars. That's what Flightline is worth in NZD. Isn't that insane to think that one horse could be worth that? But you look at his stallion prospects and what they can stand him for. Just your whole observation around the Flightline story? Well, congratulations firstly to Izzy for that purchase. Like, good on you for putting your, you know, <laughs> put, putting your hard earned on the line and, and getting and the really sort of having mate. a go. <laughs> I'm not on the pound, brother. <laughs> oh, look, I. That that to me is insane money. Eh? I sort of I checked out some of those results and like, oh, like what? Like that's huge money. And I mean, I don't know what he's going to stand for the flight line, but some simple calculations would suggest that his stud fee is going to be pretty like two hundred plus. Yeah, it'll be it'll be more. two. Tw- it's got to be more. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, how do you get your money back? But I guess what though, I mean, for them. Money's no option, really. Or well, money doesn't mean anything, really, does it? Sort of. You know that, that much, should they? <laughs> 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 uh, I do it for the love of it, boys. You know that. Hey, but... <laughs> hey, Baz, I've got a question for you. Has um, has Razor been showing you the places he's going to be staying in there? Is it close to you or not? <laughs> I haven't heard from Razor actually. We we'll have to catch up with him and and just uh, and see what is see what he's going to do. But is he? Do uh, you think he's going to? He's going to head over there, you reckon? Well, there's Whoa, talk hey. There's talk of it, and we're just sort of – we know how close you two are, and um, <laughs> I hear Kensington's quite a nice place to live. <laughs> <laughs> I only know the pubs around there. As a coach, you never buy a place where you're, where you're coaching because you're likely to, you know, get the flick anytime soon. Then you're going to have to sell it. So you just rent <laughs> – 
<laughs> very good, very good, mate. Hey, um, Rickard, and today it's an awesome day. Like the, we're bang in the middle of the carnival yesterday, Cup Day. It was just so good to see people back on track. Copeland's Mile. It's always a ripping race. Um, you've spent a lot of your days down there at Rickard and, and at the old Rat. You know, watching the races down there. Have you had a scan of the fields? I haven't done any research at the moment because I was sort of just checking out the forecast. I got a bit of golf this morning, lads. So I was sort of, I was thinking I'll get the races up <laughs> while I'm playing golf. Maybe have a couple Beauty. of quiet beers and then do my do my form. But look, it's a great week, isn't it? It is a cracking week down there. I'm ice cold on the pump, though, boys. So I'm not going to try and steer anyone into anything. But it is a good week, and I'm sure you guys had a good day yesterday as well. I was very envious of of some of the videos I saw of you lads on track and. And, uh, yeah, I've got a few mates down in Christchurch, too, and they reckon it's been a great week so far. So hopefully we can find a winner. You got anything for me, Louis? Any any tips for me to get me out of a punting hole? Ah, yes, Bears. Well, um, for you, I guess we can go a little bit early on a couple that I've just been running the, the numbers on here. Well, actually, Greg O'Connor, first of all, his top two, he just came on, and his top pick for the Canterbury Breeders Stakes, Live Drama, who's a genuine chance, $7 into five fifty. So that's race seven, the Valachi Downs Canterbury Breeders Stakes, five fifty and $2.10. That's good each way money. He had new arrangement on top in the Copelands. Here's one. I initially, in race two, thought that I'd be going to be tipping out Deploy today because she's, she started a race against She's Lickety Split, as she's not in Australia, or Lickety Split here, at $4.40. She lost by four lengths, and I thought, well, against this field, she's getting four twenty here. She should be winning. But the closer I looked, there's a horse here called Goldie's Chance for Ross Beckett, an Ifraj filly who absolutely kicked them in last start over 1,400. And 1,400 was where my question mark on deploy was. So I'm going up against Michael McNabb with Kin Koo, and typically that's not something I'd like to do, but I actually think Goldie's chance from barrier one might jump to the lead, and at 450, $1.75's worth maybe a couple of bucks the place, a buck the win, or if you're Baz, all on the nose, never on the tail. Yes, boy. And what's the Quinella worth? If we're going to get real greedy, you know, if you're going to find your way out of a hole, you swing for the fences, right? So you may as well get the Quinella. Put well, them in together. Be, oh, you'd be getting double digits, or just under. Yeah, yeah, I put ten quid. I mean, ten dollars on that. <laughs> quid. <laughs> quid. What's that? Twenty-five in Well done. Well done, mate. Hey, Bears. We appreciate your time. Where are you playing? Who are you playing? What's today? Uh, playing at Matamata. Playing with a couple of local fellas, actually, guys who who don't tell anyone that they're playing golf because they reckon they're working today. So I can't reveal their names. It's part of the Privacy Act. So uh, yeah, but. Yeah, they'll be they'll still be claiming expenses on it. I guarantee you. What's on it? Oh, uh, nah, nah. We just play for a beer, actually. So we're very friendly around here. Oh, beautiful, mate. Well, if you're anything like uh, Lee Thinnis and Sam Weatherly, I played with those lads the other day. Absolute burglars. <laughs> Lee Thinnis, an absolute burglar for sixteen. I've yeah, I've seen sixteen golfers in my time, but he's well better than that. I couldn't believe it. I can't believe I fell for that trip. What was anyway, the record like? Poor, but like yours. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I can't believe you question my etiquette. Anyway, Bez, love your work, I just mate. We'll asked you what go. their etiquette was, etiquette was like. Okay, I'll see you later, boys. <laughs> see you, Bez. <laughs> see you, Bez. See you, Bez. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. 
Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.